0: Good morning, Freedom Church. Praise the Lord. Great. Hey, before I get started, I wanted to uh, just throw one thing out there. We do have the new members' class that's starting up. You heard that it's being delayed, obviously, because um, of the activities this weekend and, and um, just the conflict and schedule. Uh, however, I want to encourage any of the young adults in the room who've been here for a while, who've grown up in the church, who might even still be in, in school. Uh, you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait until you are 50 years old to become a member. You could actually become a member right now. In fact, I'm going to say you probably should become a member right now because what does membership mean? What does it do? It encourages you to be an active member of the body of Christ that meets here at Freedom Church and understand what we believe and why we believe it. So if you haven't been to the new members class and you're a young person here, a teenager, a young adult, sign up, come to the new members class. Sound good? Good. All right, great. I need to preface this morning's message with something. This message is not a response to what Pastor Steve said from the pulpit last week. I want to let you guys know that the youth leadership, we decided we were going to be studying through the book of Genesis for the next portion of the year. And so when Pastor Steve asked if I would give the message this morning, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a great idea just to go ahead and not do extra work? I'm already preparing to teach Genesis chapter 1 to the students. Why don't I preach on Genesis chapter 1? And oh, by the way, since Pastor Steve and Jamie are going up to hear Frank Turek speak, and those of you who don't know who he is, he's a Christian apologist, wouldn't it be cool if we were kind of joining them in spirit? And since we're going to be reading chapter 1, let's approach it from an apologetic perspective, and that's what the message will be on. Enter Pastor Steve to the pulpit last week. And he starts talking about Genesis chapter 1 and his perspective on the age of the earth from Genesis chapter 1. And I'm thinking to myself, great, everybody is going to think that I'm up here just to contradict Pastor Steve next week. Not the case, not the case. But with that said, I did talk to him, I talked to Jamie about what the message content was going to be this morning, and Jamie had some concern. There might be some confusion in the body if I preach something different than what Pastor Steve talked about. And I don't think that's the case. In fact, if I'm doing things right this morning, I think what will happen is we will actually be strengthened and brought together closer as a body of Christ, even though we may interpret some particular portions of Scripture differently as a body. That's okay as long as we remain orthodox, as long as we don't deviate from, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, that is a gift from God, lest no one should boast right? As long as we remain unified in that, in love and grace with one another, I think it's okay for us to have different perspectives. In fact, dare I say, I think it's a good thing. I think it's, it's actually commendable that Pastor Steve would welcome into the pulpit a perspective that might be a little bit different from his and allow you, the church, to approach scripture yourself, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and reveal to you what the scripture actually says. Because The reality is, one of us is wrong. (laughs) Or both of us is wrong, but most certainly we can't both be right. So, I hope you're encouraged this morning. And with that said, why don't we do like Pastor Steve says and cover this thing in some prayer and see where the Lord goes this morning. Sound good? Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege to come here and to bring your word before this congregation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present that you would be active in the hearts and in the minds of each and every person here today, myself included, illuminating truth to us, not to puff our minds up with um, our our own ideas, but to embolden us to go forth into the world with confidence, bringing the gospel to a world that needs to hear who you are, what you did, and that you love them. Lord, let that be the, the desire of our hearts this morning. I pray that this message accomplishes that. And once again, we just thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that said now, in the beginning, God created. Is that all that the Bible has to tell us about creation? Is that all that Genesis tells us about creation? Now, I know that I've probably already lost some of you digging into this topic. Some of you are like, again, please, do we have to talk about the age of the earth? Haven't we done this enough? No, we haven't, apparently, because I'm talking about it this morning. So I'd like to suggest that there are multiple debates going on between individuals as it relates to Genesis chapter 1, and today I'm going to try and focus just on one in particular. The debates can most likely be broken down differently. By the way I see it, at a high level, these are where they, they land. One, biblical creation as opposed to secular atheistic evolutionary theory. God created, or nothing created and just always was, plus some time and chance. And here's the other position, the other argument, the other debate over this subject. Biblical creation describing a young earth versus biblical creation describing an old earth. Those are the two kinds of debates that I see set up here. And, and I'm not going to be addressing the first one really that much this morning. I'm more going to be focusing on the second one. So the second one really... Yom literally means a 24-hour day, or Yom literally means an indeterminate period of time. That's really what the question is this morning. How do we know? How do we know what it really means? And maybe equally as important, why do we care? What's the difference? Is it that big of a deal anyway? Does it really even matter? Well, obviously, I think it does, because I'm preaching to you on this this morning. While it's important for us to hone our ability to engage with atheistic non-believers in order to demonstrate the veracity of Scripture and account of creation and also show the flaws and issues in secular atheistic evolutionary theory, that's, again, not what I'm going to be talking about today. So on the subject, we usually hear questions or debates presented as old earth versus young earth. I don't believe that that's the crux of the debate. What really comes down to, what it really comes down to in this uh, discussion is how you interpret Genesis chapter one. Do you interpret it literally or do you interpret it figuratively? So it's not old earth versus young earth. It's God says this in Genesis chapter one. Do I interpret that literally? Should I interpret that literally or should I interpret that figuratively? We want to get it right. God had an intention for us. He presented these words at a particular time to a particular people for a particular reason, and we need to understand what that was so that we get the right idea today because it makes a difference. It has an impact. Genesis chapter 1 is the foundation for so much of our theology. Genesis chapter 1 has a lot to say about who God is, about who you are, about what his plan is. And if we don't get it right, I believe it will have an impact on a lot of that theology as you move forward and try to approach the rest of Scripture. So yes, this is a very important subject. And if you're not exactly certain, if you've just been kind of wishy-washy and thrown your hands up in the air and said, well, I really don't care. Jesus is still on his throne. I get it. You're right. But let's not ignore this. This is really important. So my hope today is this, that you guys are gonna walk away here with the following. An understanding of why Christians fall on both sides of this debate. The ability to see the subject from both sides and still love those who we disagree with. And number three, to come to a personal conviction with respect to how God intended for us to interpret Genesis chapter one. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking it's okay to be wishy-washy. And number four, the most important, the desire to have the ability to articulate what you believe about creation of, the creation of the universe and everything in it, and why you believe it. You need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have in you, to explain to everyone, believer and non-believer alike, why you believe what you believe. This is important. So, let me transition. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. There was evening, and there was morning. The first day. How many of you have heard of artificial intelligence, have heard of AI? How many of you know how AI works? How many of you understand that? (laughs) How many of you knew that there are different models of AI? There are language models of AI, and there are art-generating models of AI. There are other models of AI. What I did to get this image that you guys are looking at here is I entered into an AI art-generator model called Mid-Journey, the text from the Bible for day one of creation. And I said, imagine, that's the prompt that you give it, slash imagine... And I gave it the text from Genesis chapter 1, day one of creation. And I said, Let me see what artificial intelligence thinks day one of creation looked like. How do you guys think AI did? Does this image match up with what Genesis chapter 1 says about day one of creation? Yes or no? Right. Later we're going to go through the details of the days marked out in Genesis chapter 1, but. Before we move on, I wanna wanna remind ourselves of what Genesis chapter one has to say about each of the days. And you're right, I agree with you. This does not represent day one in any way, shape, or form. And I think that this is an important note because when we realize how AI operates, it operates off of an amalgamation of information that's available from the internet, which represents a lot of what we in the world profess to know and believe. So what AI is generating is often a reflection of what the world seems to think today. Now, mind you, there's some bias plugged in there. There are programmers, and it's going to spit out what the programmers kind of want it to spit out based on that bias. But with something like this, it's really very imaginative, creative, and it represents a lot of what the world around us believes. Which, by the way, a lot of the world around us doesn't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. But if he did, this is what they think it would have looked like. So the point is, the overwhelming majority of the world has no idea what the Bible says and has no ability to compare what the Bible says with reality. I think that's the major point with this picture that I'm showing you guys here. So this, this text might be a little small, the rest will be big, but let's go through and let's look at the, the six days of creation. Day one, light and darkness. General summary, God created light and darkness with, with the earth. Day two, sky and water. Day three, dry land, seas, and vegetation. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, sea creatures and birds. Day six, land animals and then humans. And day seven, God rests. That's a very high-level summary of what Genesis chapter 1 has to say with respect to the creation of the heavens and the earth. As I already mentioned, there are two main approaches to the text of Genesis one, a literal interpretation and a figurative interpretation. Figurative interpretations of Genesis one can take the entire passage to be figurative, or it could just take only the reference to time passages in there to be figurative. Meaning somebody would approach Genesis chapter one and say it's communicating that God literally created the heavens and the earth, but it's figurative with respect to how long he took to do it, The passages in there that are um, translated as day one, that wasn't really a day. It was some other indeterminate period of time. It's figurative. It's not literal. So I'm going to be presenting to you this morning what I believe scripture teaches and how God wants us to interpret and understand Genesis chapter one. And I wanted to present to you what somebody from the the opposing perspective, the opposing Christian perspective believes. But I didn't want to present it to you myself because I thought, you know what? Maybe I won't present it right. Maybe somebody will accuse me of presenting it with some sort of bias. Maybe I'll leave something out or put something in that shouldn't have been there. And I thought to myself, hey, you know what? Pastor Steve and Jamie are going up to hear Frank Turek speak, and Frank Turek actually has an opposing perspective on this from what I believe. So why not listen to Frank and a couple other very well-known Christian theologians talk about this subject so you hear them in their own words, and then you'll hear humble, lowly little me. And you can decide for yourself what God actually says. Now, Frank Turk, like I said, he's a Christian apologist and an author known for his public debates of atheists and skeptics of the Bible and Christianity. Mad respect for Frank Turk. I've listened to countless hours of his content and debates and kind of honed, uh, sharpened and adjusted some of my approach to how I talk to people based on what I've seen him do. Dr. Stephen C. Meyer is the third, uh, second person who's in this video. He's a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and is known for his advocacy for intelligent design. And if any of you have ever heard me speak, I'm a proponent of intelligent design. I think that it is a very logical approach to bring people to an understanding that there is a God and that he created. Maybe not necessarily the God of the Bible, but definitely that there is a God in that he, he created. It turns somebody from atheist to at least agnostic. And the third person is William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig is a Christian philosopher, a theologian, an apologist. He's also known for his debates with atheists, agnostics, and other scholars on topics related to the existence of God and the historical Jesus. All three of these men rock-solid Christian believers. But I disagree with them on this subject. And I'm not afraid to let you hear what they have to say, because I think the word of God stands on its own two feet. And you're going to make a decision as to whether or not I'm way out in left field or maybe they are. So let's see. This is just a five minute video.
1: Are the days of creation old Hugh Ross days or are they young Ken Ham days? Uh, People are familiar with the figures in the in the debate. And he says neither They are days of indeterminate length from a human point of view. Uh, Robert asks, I understand most agree that the universe is 13 or so billion years old. There is another argument that the Earth is 6,000 years old. Can those two timelines be reconciled?
0: All right, we're about out of time, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I I I wanna just say frankly no. I I think
1: that the sooner the Christian community gets rid of young earth
0: creationism, the better. This is uh, an embarrassment for the Christian faith that is creating enormous obstacles to Christian belief among scientifically educated people. The, the universe uh, is not, and the earth is not, 6,000 years old, uh, and there's no reason biblically to think that it is. Uh, and therefore, we, we need to
2: really shed ourselves of this as a Christian community. Uh, Steve, what do you think?
1: Well, I, I, sometimes in talking to people that have been raised with this belief, who have a very high view of Scripture, which I know you and I both share, I'll take them to the day four part of the creation account in Genesis 1. Think because my view has long been that the Bible does not teach a young earth. Uh, because when you get to that passage in day four, we learn that God either created or caused to appear the sun and the moon, and they were given as markers of the days and the seasons. The Hebrew verb there is haya, which can mean either created from nothing or caused to appear. But either way, we have already God has already established the days of creation, the yoms of creation, and we don't have any way of measuring time from a human point of view, in the day one, day two, day three, as those days are being established. So there's a very good Bible scholar at uh, Covenant S- Seminary, Jack Collins, who's a- often asked the question, are the days of creation old Hugh Ross days, or are they young Ken Ham days? Uh, people are familiar with the figures in the in the debate. And he says, neither. They are days of indeterminate length from a human point of view. The days were established before there were ways of of, of keeping time from a human point of view, we keep time with the movement of the sun across the ecliptic or the movement or the, the, the phases of the moon on a monthly basis. Those time markers were not present when God established those days. And so it's really impossible, I think, to impose on the Genesis account our ideas of time. And we, net, we need to be very careful about, uh, 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 about doing that. And also it means that if we want to get the, the temporal questions answered, we really do need to look to the scientific evidence. And as Bill said, I, I also agree that the evidence is very compelling for a very old earth and um, a very old universe. I'm sympathetic to the view that uh, cognitively advanced anatomically uh, modern man is a fairly recent vintage, however. And I think that's another question. I think we can't tell the history of the human race without also looking at the archaeology as well as bones on the African savanna. So I think there's some, some issues there yet to, to wrestle with.
0: So he said a lot there, and we're going to go through some of it. One of the reasons that I want to make sure before we play that video, I'm going to do the data curation, was so everybody could understand one of the arguments that's making is some of the stars are And yet, there's a reference to morning and evening, day one, two, three. And so that's part of why he suggested that we should do the nature of this theory, because there's no sun. How in the world do have a morning? And on the surface, I'm gonna say that is not And sort of pointing us in the direction where maybe we figuratively. But don't be so quick to rush to judgment. Give me a chance to explain. I'm gonna summarize what they said in this video. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some high-level bullet points. I went through and re-listened to it and I jotted down. Uh, some of the high-level bullet points from what they presented in this video. Number one, most people agree that the Earth is billions of years old. That was one point. Two, the question they are answering that was presented, and I think Stephen was the one who who presented this, is, um, or, or actually, no, I'm sorry, it was actually Frank who asked this, can you reconcile what is claimed by science with a literal reading of Genesis? And their answer is no, you can't do that. A literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 is embarrassing and causing those educated in science to reject Christ. That's another claim that was made. There's no reason to believe the Bible teaches a young earth. People who hold to a young earth belief hold it because they were raised to believe that that's what the Bible says. That was one of the things that Stephen said. People were raised to believe this in a young earth. Since the sun wasn't created until day four, there's no ability to establish a 24-hour period or any other time marker during the first three days of creation. Therefore, day, or yom in the Hebrew, can be taken figuratively, and the entire account of creation can be looked at as not 24-hour days, but periods of time. Bible scholars say the days of creation are days of indeterminate length, from a human point of view. So again, experts, scholars have a different view. We need to look at scientific evidence, which is very compelling for an old Earth and an old universe. I'm not saying what I believe, I'm saying what they stated. And lastly, while the universe and the Earth is old, man is young. So I'm going to take issue particularly with this last point that was made where, where they said that The universe is old, but man is young. And I'm going to ask the question, how do you know that figurative and literal, how do you know the separation between what's figurative and what's literal in this passage? How do you know that we can, can, at some point, take the days to be figurative, and then at another point, when man comes on the scene, all of a sudden it turns literal? I think there's an inconsistency there. I think that there's a challenge with the observations they're making and the conclusions that they're drawing from the text. Now that we've seen the conclusions that they've made about Genesis chapter 1, which they draw f- um, from their figurative observations, let's take a step back, and I want to do something. I want us together to go through and make observations before we draw any conclusions of our own. Well, I've already drawn my conclusion, and maybe you have too. But let's, let's just pretend. Let's, let's, let's actually see if we can do this. Let's take a fresh look. Let's step back and say, what I think I know, I'm gonna put that on the back burner and I'm gonna look at this with a fresh set of eyes. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through and we're going to apply biblical hermeneutics. We're gonna do exegesis. What we're gonna do is we're gonna apply the method of SOAP, which I've mentioned to you guys before. SOAP is just an acronym that stands for read the scripture, make observations, see what the application is, and cover this whole thing in prayer, both on the front end and the back end. That's what soap is. That's what I want you guys to do. We're going to practice this together this morning. We're going to do it. Let's start. Day one observations under a figurative interpretation of Genesis chapter one. Let's make some observations looking at it from a figurative perspective. Verses one and two seem to indicate God did a preliminary work of creation before the work accounted for in the six days that follow. So if you go back and you look at what chapter, uh, chapter one, verses one and two say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That seems to be, from a figurative perspective, something separate and apart from, okay, day one, day two, day three, day four. Because then it goes on to say, and God said, let there be light. So let there be light seems to be day one, and there could be this big time period and gap between when God made the heavens and the earth and when God did everything else. That's a possibility, right? Void means destroyed and desolate in other passages of Scripture. So like Isaiah... 34.11 and Jeremiah 4.23. I think Pastor Steve may have even mentioned this last week. This is one of the, the evidences that, that he presented last week for potentially an old earth. So the word void that's used there literally means destroyed or desolate in other parts of the Bible, which seems to imply something about what we're reading here, that there was something and then it was destroyed and became desolate. And now it's kind of being rebuilt and order is being added to it. Evening and morning don't make sense before the sun was created That's an observation that they're making The account in chapter 2 seems to require more than a single day for the events recorded So for instance, what do we read going on in Genesis chapter 2? We read that um, Adam is naming all of the animals How long did that take we read that Adam was created and then he was put to sleep A rib was taken out of him, and another human was formed, Eve. How long did all of that take? Could all of that really have been done in one 24-hour period? So in these two different um, descriptions of God's creating the universe and the earth and everything in it, there seems to be a possibility that maybe there's just not enough time to accomplish in a 24-hour period what chapter 2 describes as being done. So continuing on, um, let's look at things from now a literal interpretation. We, we looked at this and made observations from a figurative interpretation. Let's do a literal one now. Number one, the heavens exist. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the heavens exist. Let's, let's t- make some other observations about that. There th- the, the Bible describes three different heavens. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. We see that in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. The second heaven is the space outside of earth, outside of the atmosphere, what we know what we call outer space. That's the space outside of earth. We see that in Psalm 19.1, we see that in Isaiah 40, 22. And the third heaven is God's dwelling place. That's where God resides. So there are three heavens described in the Bible. So in the beginning, when we see God creating the heavens, was he creating just one one? Was he creating two or was he creating three? Well, it's plural, so we know it's at least two of those three that were created on that day, right? So that's an observation that we're making. I think it's really interesting to think about, was God creating that third heaven during this creation period? That's a really interesting question to think about as you go forward now, and an observation to make when we're looking at Genesis, figuratively or literally, it's going to have an impact on your theology. It's going to have an impact on your doctrine. Next observation we're going to make. The earth exists. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next observation. The earth is formless and void. It's covered in deep water. It has no light of its own. How do we know it's covered in deep water? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. What's deep? The water was deep. God is present over the earth. Again, God was hovering over the surface of the deep, so his spirit was present there. He, in some way, shape, or form, was present over this earth that he had created. There's some source of light. He said, let there be light. We know it's not the sun. We know it's not the moon or the stars, because he hadn't made those yet, in a literal interpretation, but there's some source of light. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it comes from, but hey, God said, let there be light. So there's light. He can do what he wants. He's God, right? There's darkness. On the earth, there is both day, light, and night, darkness. And they're separate. And I would encourage you guys as I'm going through this and I'm making these observations, look at the text. See if what I'm presenting here as observations lines up directly with the text. I think you're going to find it lines up exactly with what the text is saying in a literal fashion. And lastly, there is evening and there is morning. What does that mean? How do we interpret that in a literal sense? Light and darkness is transitioning on the earth. We're going to apply some of our own personal experience, which would be exactly what the personal experience of the Israelites were at the time that Moses was communicating this to them. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. That's morning and there's evening. So there is some transitioning of light and darkness on the earth during this period of time, day one. I really want to focus on this one here. Um, Excuse me one second. I want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself. There's evening and there's morning. I think I explained that um, with with respect to how we approach it from a a literal sense and why I think that one is very important, because there was an objection that was thrown out. How do you have evening and morning? How do you have a 24-hour period of time if there's no sun? Well, what is... 24 hours. 24 hours really isn't the rising and setting of the sun. 24 hours is the time that it takes the earth to make one revolution in front of a light source. Do you have to have the sun for the earth to revolve at a consistent rate in front of a light source? If in the beginning God said there is a light source and the earth is rotating, can't you have something akin to morning and evening in a very literal sense? I think you can and I'm gonna make the point right now that visuals are very powerful tools. You just heard me explain something to you with words. And maybe it's sinking in, but maybe it's not. And I think that Satan, and I think that the, the powers and the people who are opposed to God, who are opposed to the Bible, who are opposed to Christianity, opposed to Christ, opposed to you, they know how powerful visuals are. And why do you think There are so many videos, documentaries, educational TV shows that show the Earth being created billions of years ago, the universe being billions of years old. Why do you think there are so many visuals like that? Because they know how powerful visuals are. Well, I don't have the budget of Hollywood. I don't have the creative ability of Hollywood. But you know what I do have? I got a computer and I got PowerPoint and I've got artificial intelligence, man. So I'm going to use what I got. And I'm going to make you a visual to try and combat the nonsense that the world is throwing at you and try to hopefully leave you with a visual today that's going to give you an understanding of what God communicated in Genesis chapter one. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask Danny now to go through and actually, um, we're going to listen to Genesis chapter one narrated real quick for us by Max McLean. And I've got a little slideshow that's going to go with it. It's all right, guys. So I'm going to transition, if you would transition the slide for me because you moved off a PowerPoint and I can't do that. Yeah, there you go. Get the audio started and I'll use the clicker to go forward. In the
2: beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done for how God could literally do
0: what he said he did in Genesis chapter 1, and there is no contradiction. You don't have to throw your brains in the trash can. You don't have to do theological somersaults. You can read the, 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 the beginning of, of God's word, literally, and it makes sense. The first image that I put up of that first spinning globe, I wanted to have just a ball of water, but I couldn't, I couldn't find one. So you're going to have to... Use your imagination a little bit in that first spinning globe. Imagine that that was water because that's what God says the earth was. He was hovering over the surface of the deep. Dry land had not come up yet and that's what was spinning there. But the point is, there was a globe, it was spinning, and there was a light source according to a literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. Some of the images that you guys saw there, again, I used that AI art generator to create and I think it's interesting. I just took the text from scripture I threw it into this art generator, and I said, imagine what this looked like. And it comes up with four different images. You get to pick an image. You can tell it to vary it and do versions and kind of redo this one that you think is close to what you were trying to get at and then upscale it. But this was the best that I was able to get it to give me for these different passages from Genesis chapter 1. And again, I think this is consequential because this gives you an idea of what the world thinks about what the Bible says, not what we think. And I thought the last one was pretty funny. God's rested, man. We all know he's kicked back on his lazy boy, right? So again, when God says he rested, that's literal. It means he's not working. It doesn't mean that he's kicked back in a lazy boy, but it means he's not working. He's not doing anything. And a literal interpretation of Genesis helps us understand what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? Sabbath. So, I wanna go through some objections. One of the objections, I'm gonna go through one. I'm I'm gonna mention a few, but I'm gonna go through one in particular. The starlight we see is millions of light years away. Therefore, the Earth can't be young because we wouldn't be seeing any of the light from those stars that are millions of light years away. It would literally take millions of years for that light to get here so that you could see it. Therefore, universe is old, Earth is old, Got to be the gap theory, God must have put it all there, waited a few million years for the light to get here, and then decided to create you. That was his plan, right? Radiometric dating shows things are older than thousands of years, they've got to be millions, billions of years, that's another objection. Geology and the fossil record indicate the Earth is much older than thousands of years. These are all objections. I could go through every single one of them. I don't have time, I'm not going to, but I'm just gonna address this first one because I think it's funny and I think the way I'm gonna present it is probably different than what you may have heard in the past as a rebuttal to the idea that stars being millions and billions of light years away, their light couldn't get here. I'm gonna give you guys an analogy. What we got going on here is Doc Brown with Marty. And Marty is saying to Doc Brown, Doc, I got an assignment for you. You got this cool time machine? I'm gonna send you somewhere in the past. I'm not telling you where I'm sending you, but where I send you, there's gonna be a man, and he's gonna be standing in front of you. And what I want you to do, Doc, is I want you to use all your knowledge about the human body. Anatomy, physiology, development. And I want you to look at that man and figure out how old he is. And then I want you to get in your time machine and come back here, and I want you to tell me how old he is. So Zoom, we got Adam. Doc doesn't know, that's who he's gonna go see. And guess how old Adam is? He was just created, just a couple seconds ago. He just showed up there, and he's got his animals around him that God created right before him, and in flies Doc Brown in his time machine. So he pulls up, rolls down the window, and he's like, yo, Adam, how you doing? Well, I don't know your name. My name's Doc Brown, who are you? I'm Adam. Nice to meet you, Adam. Hey, listen. I was sent here from the future, and I want to do some tests on you. You cool with that?" Adam's like, I don't know anything else, why not? So Doc Brown gets to work, and he does some tests on Adam. Some of them Adam's not too happy about, but he does them anyway. And he gets his results, and he writes everything down, and he's ready to come back and tell Marty how old Adam is. But before he comes, we're going to see what his conclusion was. This man is approximately 25 years old. I can tell by the structure of his bones, by the development of his muscle, by his teeth, by all the stuff that I know from medical science, I know this guy's 25 years old, at least. He's probably older. Maybe he's in really good shape because he works out a lot. But there's a problem. Doc Brown gets in his time machine, he goes back and he crashes and never gets to tell Marty how old Adam really was. So Marty's sad, poor old Doc Brown is dead, but there's something you didn't know about Doc Brown. He was actually a Christian. So guess what? Doc Brown ends up in heaven. And what does Jesus say to him? Ha! Sorry, Doc, he's not 25. He was 25 seconds old. I just made him right before you got there. And Doc's like, but all my science, everything that I knew, I used what you gave me in this earth to figure this out. I applied the logic and reason from everything that I could ascertain from your creation. How did I get it wrong? You know how he got it wrong? He put science before the Bible. That's how he got it wrong. What are we doing with the age of the earth, folks? We're putting science before the Bible. You look at those stars and you say there's no possible way we can see that light because it's billions of light years away. Well, guess what? There's no possible way Adam was 25 seconds old because it takes all that time for him to develop. God doesn't have, he's not bound by the laws of this universe. He created the laws of the universe. Give me a break. So when we read Genesis chapter one and we take man's knowledge, we take man's information and we try to impose that on the text, what do we do? We mess it up. That's what we do. I read a book, Christine and I read a book in a Bible study we did a long time ago called Scripture Twisting. If you're taking notes, these are things that you want to write down. This is what you want to come away from this message with, these seven points. Seven points to avoid twisting scripture. First one, inaccurate quotations. For instance, How many of you have heard somebody say money is the root of all evil? Everybody's heard that, right? And you all are smart enough to know the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's a twisting of scripture. It's an inaccurate quotation of what the scripture says. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's another one. Does the Bible actually say that? No, it does not. What the Bible does say, and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God will give you more than you can handle, but he's there, and he's going to hold you up. You're not going to do it in your own strength. Twisting of the scripture. Second one, twisted translation. I'm just going to say there are versions of the Bible made by cults that you shouldn't read. I'm running short on time, so I'm not going to go through it. Make sure you're reading a reliable translation. Any of the modern translations, NIV, ESV, NASB, KJV, NKJV, solid translations of the Bible. No need to go outside of those. They tell you what God's Word says in a very understandable way. The Bible hook. Someone says something like this. The Bible says, and you name it, something comes after it. A respected Bible scholar says... Genesis chapter one says, only the rising and setting of the sun marks time on the earth. Therefore, the first three creation days must either be figurative or represent some longer period of time than 24 hours. That's a Bible hook. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? Not based on what we just saw. Number three, uh, number four, sorry. Ignoring the immediate context. Here's a good example. Do not judge or you too will be judged. This verse is often quoted in isolation to discourage any form of judgment or criticism. However, taking it out of context can lead to a misunderstanding of its true meaning. When the verse is read in isolation, it might seem to suggest that Christians should never judge or discern right from wrong, which could be problematic when applied to situation where moral discernment is necessary. However, considered in its immediate context, it becomes clear that Jesus is addressing a specific issue hypocritical judgment. So understand the context. And I would say in addition to this, understanding genre is a part of understanding context. Are you reading something that's prophecy? Is it predicting something in the future? That's important to the context. Are you reading something that's poetry? That's important to the context. Are you reading something that is historical narrative? That's important context. Genesis 1 reads like historical narrative. It does not read like poetry. It does not read like allegory. It does not read like prophecy. It's already happened. Why are we going to try and take it figuratively? Context is key. Another one, wordplay. Big word, etymology. I'm sure some of you know it. Maybe a lot of you know it. It's the study of word origin. This is important. If you, but if you place too much emphasis on etymology you can actually work against a right understanding of what Scripture says. The Hebrew phrase, tohu abohu, without form and void, means destroyed, laid waste, and desolate in other passages in Scripture. Therefore, we should interpret the opening statement of Scripture to mean the earth was previously laid waste and being repopulated with the race coming from Adam and Eve. I think that's not taking the passage in its proper context. I think those words can mean different things in different contexts. And to take those words in one context and apply it in the same way in a different context is a mistake and a misreading of Scripture, I believe. The figurative fallacy, number six. The same words can be used in both a figurative and literal sense. I'm saying this is true. You can use the same word figuratively and you can use the same word literally. So you need to make sure that you are using everything that we've just talked about to understand if you're putting it in the right bucket. Yom could mean a period of time. Yom could mean a 24-hour day. It's your job. You've got to figure out. You've got to interpret what Scripture's actually saying. And last, let Scripture interpret Scripture. This will often prevent you from making the mistake of twisting Scripture. You read a passage, you're not sure what it means? What other passage clarifies what you just read? Exodus 20. Let me remind you guys, this is God speaking here to Moses. He says to Moses, and this is interesting because God's kind of referring to himself in the third person. He actually says, and this is what the Lord God says to you, Moses. So this is God speaking here, just so you understand. You can go back and you can read it. You can look at Exodus 20, 11, and you'll see that it's God referring to himself in the third person. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God is referring back to Genesis chapter one in his application to Moses of the Sabbath, and he's referring to all of creation being done in six literal days because Moses is telling, supposed to tell the Israelites to literally rest on a seventh day. Is God the author of confusion? If he didn't mean six literal days, why would he be using this allegory for Moses? Could he not have done it in a different way that it's much more clear? And let's be honest, the Israelites needed somebody to be clear to them at that moment. They weren't exactly very uh, good followers of, of, of God at that point, were they? They were complainers. They got everything wrong. I think God wanted to be clear. And I think he was being abundantly clear. Jesus himself, Mark ten six, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Folks, let scripture interpret scripture. It's clear. Jesus said, the beginning is tied to when man was created. So I'm going to go back to what those experts, those very intelligent men who I highly respect had to say, and I'm going to to respectfully say, poppycock. Um, Where am I? Okay. That's it on the creation of the earth. That's it on literal versus figurative. That's it on on the timing of what God did. I think scripture is clear. He did not, God did not just communicate that he created. God communicated when he created. God communicated how he created. He spoke it into existence. His power manifested something from nothing. And he did it in six literal days. And then he rested. I don't know if I have clarified. Again, I'm not trying to convince you. If you're convinced, I hope it's the scripture that is convincing you and not me. And if you have questions, I'm happy to talk to any one of you. If somebody is angry with me and you want to come and tell me how I got it all wrong, I am willing to accept your loving rebuke after the service. And now, before we go, we're going to take some time and we're going to receive communion. And before we do that, I just want to remind everybody what communion is and make sure that we are all, as the scripture says, taking it in a worthy manner. And so we're just going to look at 1 Corinthians here where it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. Of the Lord, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment to himself. Folks, let's make sure that we are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a young person and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, this is for you. If you're an adult and you've done the same thing and you believe that today, and you are in a right relationship with God, and you are in right relationships with your brothers and sisters, this is for you. If you have relationship issues, if you're not right with God today, if you've got someone in this, in this life, a Christian brother or sister, that you're not right with, I would encourage you to refrain today. Go, get right with your brother and sister, and then come back and enjoy the supper with the family afterwards. That's what we're